it still tells you that this is a service business because they don't say, you know, uh, in the review, like, hey, the rate was awesome. Once in a while, they might say that, but it's really all about the service. Welcome to Elements of Styles, the business podcast that trades in scarce thinking for community, conversation, and ideas in abundance. Each week, I, Mark Styles, sit with professionals and entrepreneurs, both local and global, and learn how they each add value to their communities, their partners, and their teams. Please enjoy. Hey, folks, welcome back to Elements of Styles. Today, I am grateful to have Mike King of Leader Bank. Mike is a mortgage loan professional. Hey, Mike, welcome to the show. Hey, Mark. How's, how's everything going? Thanks for having me. Going great, Mike. Going great. It's been a while. Let me ask you, how'd you get into this business in the first place? Well, let's see. It was, uh, it was back in 1993, and um, I was working. I was just two years out of, three years out of college, and I was working at the IRS. First job out of college, and kind of, you know, not really going too far with that, I didn't think. So my cousin's wife, was in the mortgage business. And she approached me at a family function and asked me if I was interested in giving it a shot. She was opening a, a, an office uh, for a company uh, called Arbor National Mortgage, which is a correspondent lender out of uh, New York. And they were growing into New England. And she asked me and I said, you know, I don't think this IRS gig is going too far. So uh, let, let's give this thing a shot. But you know, you're gonna have to teach me what, what, what a mortgage is. So I honestly got into it really having no idea what I was getting into. Oh, that's really interesting. I had no idea that you worked for the IRS. That is, uh, that's hysterical. So at least you got a good, a good um, training ground on how to review tax returns. Yeah, it, actually, I, it was more collections. So it was on the phone with people setting them up on payment plans and, um, you know, kind of talking them off the ledge, which actually probably gave me in hindsight, gave me some good experience in, in that part of the mortgage business, talking people off the ledge at times, right? Yeah. Um, but I, you know, the, I, the joke I like to say is I went from uh, taking it away to giving it away. Oh, I love it. I love it. So tell, tell us about that first stint at Arbor. So it was a correspondent lender. What does that mean? So a correspondent lender is, um, is, is basically, it's a direct lender. So which means that they're lending out when they close and fund a loan, they're lending out their own funds. I guess not necessarily their funds. They have a line of credit that they're borrowing against. Um, and then selling the, the loan and, and then taking the, what they make on the loan and paying that, that line back, uh, as opposed to a broker, which is you're using another lender's money to fund the loan. And that, that lender is also underwriting and, and in most cases processing. So were they able to teach you uh, what a mortgage was? They were, yeah. Yeah, it was uh, my, so Linda Bunce is, uh, is my, my cousin. She's uh, actually still in the business and she's the one that taught me the ins and outs. And um, so when I started off, I was, my, I was given a small salary and we had a weekly ad in the Boston Globe. So I didn't have a territory. I was responsible for taking the calls that came in off the globe and trying to, you know, turn them into, into business. And uh, so I got a small commission for that in, in addition to my salary. Got it. So was that primarily a refinance or a purchase? Believe it or not, it was a refinance boom in 1993. The rates had dropped to seven and a half percent. Whoa! Imagine that. <laughs> That's uh, right. that, that puts it into perspective these days in uh, in January of, of 2022, right? People uh, were absolutely. excited. They were excited to get seven and a half. Thanks for thanks for taking my call. You're going to save me a tremendous amount of money. Um, so so relative, isn't it? Um, so where did you go from there? 
So uh, from there, uh, actually Bank of America bought Arbor. And I also got to a point where I just said, you know, I got to get out there and become a real loan officer and, and go on the full commission plan and get a territory and just make a go of this thing. Um, so that was probably, it's probably a year of being an in-house loan officer. And then 94 is when I went out, got a territory and um, started, you know, I started in the Quincy, Braintree, Weymouth area where, where I still work today and uh, just had to get out there and meet people, make relationships. And it just kind of took off from there. So how were you able to convince people to, to do business with you back then? I mean, you must've been a young buck, you know, trying to convince people to, you know, put their full faith and credit in you so that they could invest in what might be the biggest investment of their life. Right. Yeah, you're right. It's it, honestly, I think at, at that time it was, it was really gaining the trust of, of the realtors. And because um, I didn't grow up in the area, I, I wasn't from, I, I grew up in Gloucester. So I was on the, on the different shore too. So I didn't really know anybody. So I just was out there visiting with realtors, getting to know them. Uh, and, you know, and over time, they just would give me a shot and, you know, it's just whatever you do with it from there. Um, and I think I gained their trust in that. Obviously the, the main goal is to get the, get the deal closed for them and take care of their clients and really just returning calls and, and just explaining things to the clients and getting things done on time. How has the business changed from 1994 to 2022? Well, first of all, we didn't have laptops back then. So I was actually taking applications on a paper application and using my calculator to, you know, to, to add up all the closing costs. But it's not, as far as marketing and, and, and getting business, it's, you know, you walk into a real estate office today, you're not going to see many, many realtors. Most of them work from home and uh, they just work remotely. So it's, it's a different business in, in that way. But, you know, in, in, in many ways, it's still the same business too. You still, you still have to return the calls and in this, you know, more so emails and texts now than calls, I'd say, but you still have to provide the service and, and be the trusted advisor and, and get the job done. Still a very relationship oriented business. Absolutely. 100%. The uh, inter the interweb they're not gonna they're not gonna take you guys out. I don't think so. I think people still like to be able to talk to somebody, and, and you know it, it's still a confusing business. If you don't do this every day, you know some of the smartest people out there, you you, you help them get through a mor the mortgage process, and you're still explaining quite a bit, and it can be confusing. So I, yeah, I don't see, I don't see that uh, happening anytime soon. So you've been doing this for a really long time. Would you recommend this career to somebody who's coming out of school? I would. I would actually. I've thought about that too because I've got my son is a senior in high school, and he's actually, believe it or not, shown some interest in you know in, in what I do and and you know, possibly getting into this something like this down the road. So I mean, the entrepreneurial part of it, I think, is is great. You know, being flexible and with your schedule. Uh, but also knowing that you're really never off either. Like you have to answer the phone or answer the emails when people need you on weekends and at nights. And, you know, if you're out on vacation on the beach, sometimes you might have to take a walk, you know, and, and talk to a client. It's just, that's comes with the territory. So as long as, you know, you get someone that's out of school, that's looking for that type of lifestyle and maybe not so much, not so much, so much of a structured income and, and work environment. I think that's, it's still a good business for someone like that. So going back to Bank of America, you're out beating the street, building up your own relationships. What were some of the challenges that you faced? The challenges for first starting out, 
was, I guess, really just getting out there and, just, and getting the business. There's, you know, there was a lot of other loan offices out there going after the same business. So having to figure out a way to set yourself apart and um, really kind of get over that hump. And then for me, believe it or not, one of the things that I feel like helped me a lot was I remember I went to this a seminar and it was, I can't remember the guy's name, to be honest with you, but he was talking about, you know, just making yourself different. Uh, setting yourself apart, but but doing it in a way that fits your personality. And I'm a sports fan, you know. I'm, I'm and and I love I love football, baseball, and so forth. So I started doing this football pool on uh, Fridays. I'd, I'd and I would fax it out to all these different offices, and I would offer uh, you know free lunch to whoever won the football pool. And it was amazing how many responses we got. So it worked out great because every week we were taking out a real estate office out for lunch, getting to know them. And they were excited because you know, it was something a little different for them. And um, I'd say that was, that really helped me get, you know, get over the obstacle of, of um, you know, meeting people and, uh, and, and getting going. That's pretty cool. Set, setting yourself apart from the, from the pack, but doing it in a authentic way. I love that. Let me ask you this, today's uh, current market environment, scarce inventory, uh, multiple bids, how are you helping your buyers set themselves apart from the pack? I'd say the most common situation I have now is helping people understand that, you know, if, if they're willing to do it, to try to make the offer without a contingency of having to sell, if, you know, if they do have a house to sell. Um, because as we know, that's that's a that's a big obstacle for buyers right now. And it's a it's a tough market anyway. You know, you might be going into a property and, and offering against fifteen other potential buyers. If you got a property to sell, you know, you're going to be on bottom of the barrel. So counseling them on that to to make them understand that there is a way to do it if they do qualify, uh, but it doesn't have to be something that's. Um, you know, that puts them out there that you know, they're going to be carrying two mortgages for six months or something like that. So coaching them through the, the courage of that. Correct. Right. Just making them understand. What I, what I usually tell them is in this market, if you have a house that you have to sell and you price it right and you have a good realtor, it's going to sell. So you can, and most people do this, they go into the, into the, into the uh, you know, into the transaction without the contingency but 90% of the time, the house is going to sell on time. So right. they're still going to work out the way they wanted it to work out, but it helps them get that offer accepted. You just have to make sure that they understand that, they, that you do have to have that plan B. You know, if, if your house, do, if your sale does fall apart, you do have to have that plan B. You have to know where that money's coming from and yeah, know that you, you're going to put the house back in the market. It'll sell it quickly, but yeah, you might have to make two full mortgage payments for a month. Which is- You have to be transparent. Which is a good investment in a, in a market like this to keep yourself on top of the game. So, Mike, you've been doing this for a long time. What, who is your ideal client borrower? Okay. It's, there's, there's a few. So I still like working with the first-time buyer. You know, I think there's always a lot of uh, job satisfaction with that. You take a young couple or just a you know, young individual and, and show, you know, show them how it can be done. Start from the pre-approval process. Um, you know, guide them through it, answer their questions. They're, they're, they're usually, especially if you do it right, they're very appreciative of it at the end of the, you know, at the end of the day. And it's a good feeling to see them, you know, be able to, to close and, 
and uh, you know, and, and realize the 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 dream of home ownership, right? Mm-hmm. So I like that. You know what? But more recently, what's um, a more common one too is is when people now are buying their second homes. You know, more especially during COVID. There's so, I've done so many loans up in Vermont, New Hampshire, down the Cape, Florida, South Carolina, and that's that's a whole different level of excitement, right? So someone's they work there, they work for a long time. Maybe the kids are out of college. It's time for them to move on to the next part of life. And um, you know, they close on that home up in New Hampshire, and it's it's, it's an exciting time. So I, I enjoy that too. Almost like a first time home buyer 2.0, if you will. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So you're seeing a lot of second homes purchases. Quite, yeah, the past past two years especially more than ever. Yeah. And are, what are people thinking? It's like they're fast tracking their retirement or they're straddling because they can work remotely. What's the thought behind that? I think that what you, you just said it, uh, the fact that they can work remotely, you know, people are realizing that, you know, I mean, a lot of us are able to work remotely anyway, but a lot of people that haven't in the, have learned that they can and like, you know, why, why do I want to sit here and, you know, whatever rent them when I can be up in Vermont and, you know, finish the work day and head out in the mountains and go skiing. So I think that's been uh, the driving force for the, you know, a pretty good increase in that, in that market. A COVID positive, as they say, right? Be where you can work where you want to be, as opposed to where you're half, where you have to be. Correct. So as we enter this 2022 and you see this scarcity in the marketplace, where do you see the industry going for the one year, five year, 10 year? Yeah, to the overall real estate industry. Yeah, it's a good question. It's a good, very good question. It's um, you know, I, I guess you have to just believe that it's going to continue the way it's been going for the past whatever fifty to 60, 70 years, right? It's it's a different market, obviously, but it's just one of those things that people are always going to want to own houses, and people want to invest in real estate, and people want to own second homes. So I don't think that's going to stop. I think you know the inventory. Hopefully, we'll open up. You're always going to have the the people looking to downsize, um, and people looking to upsize. So that's where the, I think the sales have to come from there. And you know, rates. You know, my theory on rates is I this is you know, just my own personal theory, but right now they're in the three and a quarter. You know, approaching the three and a half range. And if they get much higher than that, then it's going to impact how many people can afford to, you know, be getting up into the high, you know, six, seven, eight hundred thousand dollar range, and maybe in the, into the million dollar range, right? And when that happens, if the rates climb higher, then now you know you might start seeing a correction in in, in prices, and I don't think that's ever a good thing. You know, I mean, I'm a correction one thing, but you know, a, a uh, you know, if prices really start to drop, I, that's never good for the economy. So I just have to believe that. Um, there's always going to be a way for the feds to figure out a way to keep them at bay and keep these properties affordable. Well, it's such an important industry with the, you know, the global economy, right? Our, our years of 2007, 2009 uh, highlighted that pretty clearly that the United States residential real estate market has, has a lot of impact, but exactly. Um, but with supply and demand the way it is, it's it's hard to believe that that the prices could go down. What do you see out there that would allow 
folks to loosen up that inventory to create a little less scarcity? Are people willing to put their house on the market subject to suitable housing, subject to finding something else? Are people open to those ideas? Like what, what, where are we going from here? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think right now that's a tough one because it's so that it's so scarce that I think the seller does hold more cards right now. So I guess to put your house on the market subject to finding suitable housing is probably easier for a seller than it would be for a buyer to have the, the contingency of selling. Right. Right. I'm not sure if you'd agree with that, but I would. So yeah, it's hard to say if, um, you know, what's going to eventually open things up though. It's uh, something's got to break. Yeah. I think the rates have to stay low because I think, you know, so many people have refinanced into the twos. So if they get, let's say they got into the fours, that, I think that'd be a real tough pill to swallow to give up that, that mortgage you got and take on that, that higher rate. And that's another reason why, you know, you know how the, the feds will, they'll, they'll, they can manipulate it because it's all a matter of how many, what, what they're investing into the mortgage-backed securities. They're tapering off on that right now. And that's what's causing rates to increase. But tell us a little bit more about that. Well, you know, for, with my, the knowledge that I have on it anyway, is it, it's, it's in simple terms is the government has been investing in mortgage-backed securities. And that's how, that's what drives interest rates. Um, the more investors that are, you know, that are buying keeps the rates down. But obviously, the government does not have unlimited funds. So at some point, they do have to take a look at how much they're investing in that. So they made an announcement, I think, a month or so ago, that they were going to start tapering down on that. And all it takes is for the market to hear that and react to it. And that's basically what's caused a little, in, you know, a little increase that we've had in rates right now. Somebody who's got a two and a half interest rate, it's just got to be a compelling reason to move and change that debt management to, you know, a higher three percent interest right. rate, right? So there's right. got to be compelling reasons, not simply, I want to sell my house because I hear it's the top of the market. Exactly. No, that's correct. And but I guess you could also look at it, someone selling at the top of the market, they can, that's more down payment. So maybe they're not borrowing as much on the next property. So maybe that three and a half rate isn't going to hurt so much. Right. I think what the, what the, the people that will hurt will be the first time buyers because they're coming out, they have nothing to sell. Uh, they're just using their savings as a down payment and the prices are climbing or they, they have climbed. And as the rates climb, it's just, it's just going to reduce what they can qualify for. Right. And what they're, you know, what they're willing to buy. Right. Right. So now have you seen a market like this in your, in your career, this scarce? No, I haven't. No, I don't, I don't remember ever seeing it like this where, you know, just talking to some realtors um, that I've known for a long time and giving me some stats as to, you know, what's on the market in different towns. And it's, uh, there's some pretty low numbers out there. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's the lowest ever time. Lowest ever. It is. it is. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I think, you know, we always persevere. We always get through it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like so, that. you know, it's an, it, it's an interesting stat, right. That there's, there's not enough houses for sale. Right. And there's an only a certain amount of finite amount of houses that can be built. Right. Or yeah. can come out to the marketplace. And, you know, how do we, how do we figure out how to create more inventory? Well, it's that's the that's the question of the year right now, right? It is, it is. But I'll tell you something. Another part of that is, and we're seeing this quite a bit too, is because of the low uh, the low inventory. Obviously, people are going in and having to um, bid higher than 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 you know what what the house is listed for. 
So the common question that I get is, okay, so we're going to go in the houses, let's say on for 459, we're going to offer 519. So what happens if the, if the appraisal comes in low? So Great that's, a, you know, very good, very, uh, very common question that I get. And, and it really depends on what the, what the down payment is. So I have a situation right now where I have someone in that, that's probably the same example. I think it's 440 is the list price and they're offering 500. They're putting down 10%. So essentially they're borrowing 90% of the, of the price of the house. So the way I explained it was if the appraisal were to come in low, you can still borrow up to 95% of the appraised value because the bank looks at the value of the house as being the appraised value or the, or the purchase price, the agreed purchase price, whichever's less. That's essentially the value of the house to the lender. So when that appraisal comes in low, so let's say if it comes in on this $500,000 purchase, if it comes in at 480, they can borrow, still borrow 95% of that. So in this case, it, it really wouldn't change anything. It, it would slightly change the amount of PMI they're paying monthly, but they wouldn't necessarily have to come up with extra cash to buy the house. They could, if they want to, they could reduce the loan so it's still 90% of the appraised value and keep the same rate of PMI, but they don't have to. Um, and I think that's so, given people some comfort. Yeah. So, so the value comes in higher than what the seller was listing it for, but less than what the buyer was willing to pay. Right. Restructure the loan. But what happens if they don't get approved for the loan at that point? Maybe the PMI isn't, they don't get approved for PMI, or maybe they don't have that down payment. Then you still have your financing contingency, right? As a as protection there, but uh, and that's that that's rare though. To be honest with you, it's because the, the the amount of PMI it, the change isn't going to be so much that it would cause someone to go from qualifying to not. In most cases, I mean, obviously it could happen, but it's very rare. Plus, they're going in with their eyes wide open with every strategy and scenario possible, right? Like, yeah, like, no doubt. Yeah, we're going, many times we might we might lay that out for them too. We're going in higher than what the seller's asking. This is something that could happen, right? The appraisal right. might not come in, right? Because the listing yep. agent determined that this is the value of the property. Therefore, it's possible that the appraisal will come in close to that number. Everything that you're bidding above that is at risk, right? I mean, that's that's out of pocket, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so like you said, yeah, you go into it, it's educate them as much as you can to make them understand here's what could happen and here's how we would deal with it if it does happen. So what's the, what's the process like? So you're introduced to a buyer from a real estate referral partner. Take, take us through the process uh, to, to make them as competitive as possible. Uh, so from, from uh, A to Z, I, they, they get introduced to me. I, I just have them go to my website, enter an application. And then once I have that, run a credit. Um, you know, get on the phone with them, go over the application with them. And, and then we just start talking numbers, you know, and usually it's okay, well, here's how much you qualify for, but let's talk about, you know, what type of payment you feel that you can afford and be, you know, and be comfortable because that's, that's going to be two different numbers in most cases. And then, you know, you might say, okay, well, you qualify to buy an $800,000 house, but based on what you want to pay, you really should be sticking in that 650 range. So we'll have that conversation. And then, um, you know, once we get over that, then they start to get out back out there with the realtor, start looking at properties. And by now I've sent them a pre-approval letter 
and that's that's it. They they they're out there, and they might see a property that they're interested in. They might call me or email me, and I just give me the listing or the address. Ask me to work do a workup so I can just show them what the payment's going to look like on that house. Um, at different, you know, what if I offer this, 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 and this? Yeah, give them some different scenarios, and um, you know, it's basically just arming them with you know, with uh, information so they can go out there and make an educated decision. And they have a, a solid pre-approval, so when they go into that that bidding uh, scenario when there's multiple offers, you know, that piece of paper with Mike King's name on it carries a lot of weight. It's been around for a long time. He knows how to yep. close. He's going to get it to the table. He's not lying on this document. They, these people are ready, willing, and able to buy. Right, right. And yeah, that's definitely a, it's, it's always nice to hear too. Sometimes I'll get that compliment that, you know, hey, you know, you're, we saw your name was on the pre-approval and that definitely helped us get the, um, you know, get the offer accepted. What else can you do in this, in this environment to help uh, make those buyers a little bit more competitive? So what we offer at Leader is we will do a, uh, an underwritten pre-approval. Uh-huh. So if they want to submit their documents, you know, especially I think the best scenario for that is a self-employed person, uh, just because it's not, they, they can fill out an application online and they don't really understand what their income is in most cases. So in that case, we'll ask them to send in their, their, their tax returns, uh, maybe a profit and loss, you know, just to see what they're doing, what the business looks like this year, some assets, and then we can actually submit it to an underwriter and they'll give us a full, like an underwritten pre-approval. And I think that that absolutely carries extra weight. So when that listing agent's looking at a pre-approval, pre-qualification and a pre-underwritten approval, there's some strength behind that. Uh, yeah, and I get, and this, these days we get calls as loan, I'm assuming most loan officers would say the same thing. Uh, we'll get a call from the listing agent just saying, hey, I got this offer from your client. I just want to check in and make sure that, uh, you know, that they're in good shape. And when you can say, yeah, actually, we've, we've got credit, we've got documents, it's been underwritten, you know, already underwritten by an underwriter. They're, they're pretty happy to hear that. Yeah. And hopefully it helps them get to the top of the pile. Yeah, because they got they don't want to make that mistake, right? Because they're they're taking one swing at it as well when they've got multiple people looking at that property. Yep. Are you seeing folks uh, waiving home inspections still? I am. Yep. Uh, so frustrating. Yeah, it's always uh, it is especially when you're first time buyers and they're waiving the home inspection. It, it's scary, you know. I got one right now, and at least they have you know they're buying a property. They have a family member that's you know in the business in the contracting business and at least said someone take a quick look at it for them but no question about it it's a scary time for them yeah i've always been uncomfortable with it even from the seller side of things because you know post closing you know was this should this have been represented you know was this something that the buyer should have known about well they didn't do their home inspection which would have given them the opportunity to insulate you to the buyer um yet there's still people are are pushing for this and i i'm not a fan i'm definitely not a fan i like to see people to go into transactions eyes wide open but you know in markets like this we have to deal with what we have to deal with so so we go through the buyer gets their um their offer accepted they go into uh final underwriting title appraisal closing the balloons, the confetti, everybody's excited. They sit down and they say, I want to write a testimonial, a review for Mike King. What does that sound like? 
Well, in, you know, we do get a, a good amount of them, and I'm happy to say that the, we, we get a lot of positive um, positive reviews. And it's usually that you know they they enjoy dealing with not just me but my team. You know, it, and you really are in this business. You're only as good as the team around you, um, because you know I'm not I'm not my processor does you know does so much work. My, I have a loan officer assistant, um, and the fact that everybody's just gets back to them. So usually the, the review is like is that you know the copy communication was great. Uh, my questions were always answered in a timely manner and, you know, in a very professional way and, um, you know, would be happy to re you know, recommend them in the future to, you know, friends and family. That's probably a very common one. What's funny, I always think, is our, our rates are extremely competitive. And in a lot of cases, I'm getting, I know that they're out there shopping. And when they're shopping, I'm usually winning that deal because our rates is, are very spot on. So they're coming to me because of rate, but they don't put that in the review. <laughs> so it still tells you that this is a service business because they don't say, you know, uh, in the review, like, hey, the rate was awesome. Once in a while, they might say that, but it's really all about the service. Always has been and always will be, I think. Relationship is this, you know, I mean, you can you could press that easy button, but it sure is not easy when you're dealing with automation. Right. Not when it's so important like this. Um, so. I appreciate you putting yourself out here uh, into this new medium called podcasting and expanding your comfort zone, Mike. Um, one of the other things we like to do when it comes to expanding our comfort zone is karaoke. And we're going to get everybody together, all of our guests. If you go through the catalog of folks on our list, there's quite a resource of people, both financial and real estate and mortgage. But we're going to get you all together to network. And one of the things we're going to do is we're going to have karaoke. And Mike King, you're up next on the stage. What are you singing? My go-to is, uh, is uh, Men at Work, Down Under. Really? Yep. I come from a land down under. I come from a land down under. I love it. I love it. That's so great. Mike, you've been in the business for a very long time. You've got a lot of wisdom to share. I appreciate you sharing it. And if somebody were to want to work with you, what would be the best way to get in touch with you? Um, phone, uh, cell phone is 781-760-9268 uh, or email mking at leaderbank.com. And there's also my website, which is just my name and then the word mortgage. So it's mikekingmortgage.com which puts you into our, uh, into our leader bank site, which is, you know, a very secure and professional website. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Mike, I appreciate you coming on the, uh, the show and sharing your wisdom and your knowledge with everybody. And um, I'm looking forward to seeing you very, very soon. Absolutely, Mark. Always a pleasure. Appreciate it very much. Hey, thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe on your platform of choice for a new episode each week and share this with everyone and anyone. If you have any questions or comments or have an idea for another guest, feel free to shoot me an email at mstyles at styles-law.com. That's M-S-T-I-L-E-S at styles-law.com. And if you are a real estate professional, be sure to check us out on our private exclusive Facebook page, The Real Estate School at 892 for content and Massachusetts continuing education opportunities. Be well, folks.
Today's episode is sponsored by Secure Title. Secure Title helps Massachusetts real estate attorneys, real estate agents, loan professionals, buyers, and sellers with all of their title, settlement, and escrow needs. Secure Title, S E C U R I T I T L E.com, where security and title come together. This podcast is being provided for informational purposes only. The podcast is not a comprehensive overview of the subject and is not intended to provide legal or financial advice or an endorsement of any product or business. The views expressed by podcast guests are their own and their appearance on the podcast does not imply any endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Please seek legal, financial, or tax advice before taking any action on the matters or products discussed herein.